Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Breaking news this week out of Columbia that does not relate to a flag. Uncovered this week were original blueprints for Williams Bryce Stadium. Apparently, they called for a waterfall to be installed behind the north facing end zone stands, where the Gamecock fan base could get their weekly showers on at halftime. These plans were scrapped by organizers and decision makers who wanted to avoid setting an unreasonable expectation for fancy amenities. boys we are back uh only eight short saturdays and counting until the tigers rub the rock and descend the hill and bury the terriers uh definitely looking forward to the coming weeks uh, we're in first week of july right now um pretty soon here we're gonna have practices kicking back up and i think we will start getting into some of our position group previews opponent previews and we have some exciting guests going to join us uh, coming up on future podcasts here so uh, looking forward to that. Um, but this week, I think we have quite a few headlines to cover um, looking ahead. So again, um, touched on it a little bit, but this week, um, in conjunction with removal of the Confederate flag from the South Carolina um, State House, the NCAA, in response, lifted the ban on championship events being hosted in the state, which is great news. Ben, what do you think? Yeah, and we won't get into the political side of this because you know this is not the forum for it. Uh, but we will. What we will speak to is this ban that's been lifted by the NCAA, and I think this is huge. Um, this affects uh, sports such as uh, baseball, where we can. So at, at this point of before, uh, the NCAA will allow us to have regionals, the super regionals, because those are merit based. Uh, postseason events but anything else you have to bid on as a state or as a city we were banned from doing so because of the confederate flag flying on the state has grounds but now things such as like the acc uh, baseball tournament can be held in south carolina and even i mean we're talking looking forward the possibility of having the uh NCAA uh, basketball tournament uh, in Greenville, like the, the the first rounds. So I think it's huge for the state of South Carolina to be. And I'm kind of surprised that there hasn't been a big push for this sooner uh, from an athletics point of view. But it's huge. I mean, I really think it's it's going to bring revenue into the state of South Carolina, and it's going to bring exposure for sure. And I remember Ben, I was actually in the 2002 NCAA championship or NCAA was the the very first round where it came to Greenville at the Bilo Center. I went I was in the ninth grade. I went and saw my my beloved Duke Blue Devils play. And uh, anyway, you know, beyond that, it was really good. It was like just an amazing. It, it brings a lot and Greenville's changed and grown so much since since then. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. It's great for that economy. And, I, and when we talk about South Carolina, what that means is it's probably going to come into Greenville, most likely. It's not probably not Columbia, yeah. and obviously not Charleston. But well, and we're, and we're talking about uh, having an ACC baseball tournament possibly in Myrtle Beach or Greenville or even down in Charleston. You know, I mean the River Dog so. Stadium. Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, I think that's big. You know, it's 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 home field uh, advantage so to speak. So I, I think it's, it's, it's big news. I think it's good for the state of South Carolina sports and it's good for the, for the fans of, of the schools in South Carolina. Cause 
you know, we deserve to be able to have our teams, see our teams play, especially when we're in the, the upper echelons in a lot of these NCAA sports. Boys, do you foresee a possibility where um, a sponsor in the upstate, let's say BMW, Michelin, some of that ilk, um, decides to sponsor a bowl game, potentially, that hosted at Clemson? Is that something that's you know on the radar? So I don't th- see anything ever being hosted at Clemson just because the town's not big enough, but I know there were plans a few years ago of possibly having a bowl game in Johnson Haygood Stadium down in Charleston, which is the, the Citadel Stadium. So there, there have been prior plans for that. Obviously, nothing came to fruition. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could have something. Charleston is probably the best is, as far as having a football scene, a stadium big enough for, for something like that and a population for it. And just obviously a rock-solid tourism center. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to have it in Columbia, for sure, right? Charleston was just named the number one place for like tourism. Yeah, and that's or like, the number one place to visit. Well, yeah, and it's like three or four years running for that. So yeah. I mean, no, absolutely. And I, I think there would be enough attendees to the game, especially you get some southern teams, you know, in the south. Uh, cities are a lot closer, so traveling uh, for games, you know, even if you don't have teams from South Carolina in the game, um, it, you know, it, it's a draw. And again, it's a draw for tourism. And during the winter, the weather's good. So yeah, why not? Sounds good. Well, you know, hopefully it does result in additional events in the state. Uh, hopefully ones that Clemson will be able to participate in. Uh, elsewhere, sort of around the headlines going on this, the past week or so, um, amidst a video that was released, Florida State quarterback or former, former Florida State quarterback, DeAndre Johnson was dismissed from the team. Guys, I just watched this video, pretty uh, disgusting act. Uh, but I, I will say, I imagine... Um, were that event not captured on video and published kind of broadly on the newswire, I don't know that he would have been dismissed from the team. I feel like not that similar behavior has kind of happened in the past and kept players on that team, but you know, I think the video is really the crux of the case here and really a disgusting act. So um, it's unfortunate for everybody involved, but that's what I'll say. Yeah, and, and what if that was Jameis Winston a few years ago and he hadn't had any prior allegations of rape, stealing of crab legs, jumping up on tables in the cafeteria. What if that was Jameis Winston? Does he get kicked off the team even with the video? Like I question that. And before uh, Ray Rice, the events with Ray Rice in the NFL and Adrian Peterson and when there's been this current wave of domestic abuse um, exposure been popping up and been in the headlines if that was three years ago would he have gotten kicked off the team I, I, I think he would have I think the video really in this day and age is you know that's the the shooting gun if you will uh, or the smoking gun effectively that you know it just brings it all home like proof is in the pudding right there I don't know FSU has a history and and they're not they're not Clemson, you know, the way Dabo handles things. So it would have been really interesting to see what Jimbo Fisher would have done had it been Winston. Now, that's not taking anything away. They certainly did the right thing here, and they reacted swiftly and right away. But they've had a lot of practice at not getting things right, especially with Jameis, that, I mean, how could they mess this one up? Yeah, the, the case with Jameis was it was handled so poorly that the the I mean the legal system failed so poorly that they, they obviously they came to a conclusion there but after that they still had enough 
grounds to where they actually went through the like the due diligence within like the the student or the just the um, university the university review. yeah mm-hmm. so they went through that court system I mean like and what happened I mean that, it just I mean you know not even to dive into that too deep but just to say that that's how poorly that was handled I if this would have been Jameis Winston this year for example after even the Ray Rice and all the stuff in the NFL I think I think you would have never saw the footage for one but even so you would have said like wow she must have had a really powerful knee because she was really kicking his growing which is complete crap because she like put her knee up it was it was a despicable act by this guy no you'll you'll see arguments from both sides of saying the the girl is the aggressor in this case i don't necessarily see that the way he comes up from behind and maybe she does deserve some punishment for throwing a punch we haven't seen the whole situation but he was never in danger like he never had to defend himself like there was not a position he should have just walked away and so let's take this back to deandre johnson if Everett Golson does not transfer to Florida State this year, does that affect things? Because who do they have behind Sean McGuire? Uh, I'll stand by any player, Jameis Winston, Everett Ever Golson, that's not really his thing, but and DeAndre Johnson, regardless of their depth chart, captured on video, released to the public, whoever it is, gone. Definitely. Um, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. No, no, I totally agree with without you. video, and without a, a a deep team and a bunch of Seminole fans in the bar. Or let's say that club owner is a a booster of the Seminoles. You might not see that video surface if there's less depth. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, that is definitely news affecting their depth chart. Certainly, he was sort of a third stringer uh, moving into this year, so. Um, no real football impact here, but, you know, behave college football guys. Um, Cody, on the college football front, take us through some of the recruiting news that we've, we've seen in the recent days. Yeah, we, we saw Parker Boudreaux, who we, we, we said... Boudreaux. Boudreaux. It's, it's, who cares what his name is anymore? He's, he's going to Notre Dame, unfortunately. Offensive lineman, it was a, it's a huge need for us as a position group it always is and we're seeing it this year he went to he went to Notre Dame and that uh, keeps like we keep missing on these offensive line recruits for the for 2016 and really there's there's not but like one or two left and we're, we're kind of getting we're getting really thin there it's it's kind of disappointing following up following up on such a really good year in 2015 with uh, with Mitch Hyatt and Jake from Morgan and Noah Green and, and Zach Jella and now it's it's really falling off but um, we could still possibly land John Simpson from Charleston. We're front runners for him. Really need to get him. That's that's a bit like probably our biggest need at this point. He's the Fort Dorchester guy, right? The, the Fort so, Dorchester guy. So we have Darrell Berry on our side. Yeah. Trying to. Yeah. I would say he's like seventy five percent Clemson. Okay. Maybe even more. So we're we're in good shape with him. How does our good recruiting class with offensive linemen this past year affect what's happening this year? I don't. Unfortunately, I don't think it has yet. It well, seems, is it? Has it been a detriment? Do, do these guys coming in this year see that we have all these young guys with a high upside that it's going to keep them off the field, or is it a situation where offensive linemen don't really think about that because there are so many injuries and so much development that's required to take place for them to go from a four-star offensive lineman in high school to become, you know, a well, serviceable such, guy in college? I think it's such a pliable position group if you were a, a tackle let's say in high school you could be slotted and moved up and down that line 
there are five starting positions there a little different than receiver i feel like or yeah. you know certainly tailback so um it, definitely valid but may not be affecting us yeah and the function of these these positions between a guard a center and a tackle on the offensive line are different and the skill sets are different but yeah i, I don't think it matters that much i mean it's uh, in terms of like seeing the guy ahead of you, like in, can take your position. I don't. I don't think that matters. I, th- I think what matters is how have you developed guys and how have they been able to showcase their talents to get to the NFL? How have they performed in the NFL? Clemson doesn't have any type of of guy there the way that we have at this point, like New Hopkins and and now Sammy Watkins at the wide receiver position. But yeah, I, I, but you know, be, even beyond that, I just I just feel like we we've had a few guys and we just missed on them and we needed i mean we needed to hit on them and i will hold i will say this i'm holding our offensive line to the same standard now that i'm holding our wide receivers it's so important cody let me paint a hypothetical parker boudreau uh emboldened by his decision to sign with the fighting irish decides to attend the notre dame at clemson game october 3rd in death valley primetime game let's hope both teams are undefeated we get espn game day um Notre Dame comes in, gets destroyed by Clemson. Likes what he sees, loves the atmosphere. Could he be flipped? I would love to say yeah. And in my mind, like a rational mind, I would say that that would be, yeah, that would make all the sense. But I've seen time and time again in both football and basketball where that's never the case. Even like Clemson and and, uh, and South Carolina games where they go head-to-head for these recruits. And for whatever reason, it seems like that game and the result of that game has no bearing on where the, where the player will end up going. Well, let me fast, sorry, let me fast forward three months from then. December, let's say Notre Dame has a middling season or even a pretty good season. They make a decent bowl game. Uh, some NFL team that goes 1-15 uh, comes a call in for Brian Kelly. He's no longer going to be their head football coach. Before signing day next February, could he be flipped? That would be our best bet. I would take. We could beat them fifty to nothing in Death Valley. If I were like given the two options, that or Brian Kelly leaving right now, in order to gain that commitment from Parker Boudreaux, I would take Brian Kelly leaving. That's just kind of the, that's what it is. But here's the thing, and this is how this works with Clemson recruiting: is that we get guys signed on early, and generally by the time January, February rolls around, we don't have any spots left. So, is that something where we oversign to get a guy like that? Do we want a guy like that? Did you see his commitment video? He's a head case. I mean, he's full of himself. He fits right in with Notre Dame. That's funny because like that's kind of been the reputation on him is we did a lot. We've done so much, including our bowl game was in Florida. We invited him to come out. He spent the, the weekend with the team. We 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 gave him that, that five-star treatment and rolled out the red carpet for him and did everything we felt like we could, but it got to a point where he, he wanted to keep engaging in the process. So that gets to a point, like, how much do we keep going down this path? Like, we've done everything. We've said everything we can't, we, we could possibly could. And he's still not committed because he wants to be, you know, swept off his feet. It, you almost get, like, that, that stroke of, like, high maintenance. Yeah, exactly. I was I it, just thinking that. It's a little bit high maintenance at that point. So like, that's kind of the, the vibe he's given off. And we're like, hey, whatever. Go to Notre Dame. Hey, and guys, we, real quick. Who would you rather have on our team right now? A thin offensive line? or a thin offensive line with an additional player who has the talent that might be a head case, that might be a high maintenance, but that gives you more depth and gives you more talent. And can pull a bus. Can pull a bus up a hill. 
I mean, agreed. And football players have egos. I mean, imagine the, all the egos that compile across an entire football team at a Division One, let alone a major program level. Certainly, that's the case. I am confident in the leader that is Dabo in managing those egos. He's done a great job so far. I'm not that worried. I would rather we oversign and we stretch and we try to get talent. That's what it takes. And when you talk about next man up, when you get the Isaiah battles of the world moving on, you do have to, I mean, we just have to have depth at talent. No, you're right. And then one thing that we've complained about in recent years is that in the trenches, our guys just aren't nasty and mean enough. And I talked with a Notre Dame uh, uh, fan, a fr good friend of mine, and he said the word on this kid is he plays with a, with a mean streak, you know? Mm -hmm. So... I've seen his video and that's why I like him. I yeah, could, so, frankly, you're right, Tully, I could care less about his attitude. When I see him on video, he's mean and he's athletic and he plays hard and I, don't, I could care less. You think Ohio State was built on a bunch of uh, guys that really just bought into the program? Nice guys no, too. They were built on, built, like, bought in on talent or they're built on talent with Urban Meyer as the, the leader. Sure, sure, yeah. And you know what, a lot of this is probably sour grapes that he didn't choose us after he was a big lean for us for a while there. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, that's a fair point. Absolutely. Not a huge loss. To kind of conclude my recruiting segment is Trey Lamar is four-star linebacker out of, out of Georgia. He was really high on Clemson. At one point, probably 90% 90, 90 in on Clemson. And now Auburn has gotten into the mix. And this isn't a, a Auburn throwing money at this kid type, like, type thing. But it is a, it is like they've they, they've shown him something. He is a he's a first class kid. He he cares so much about the education part of it that he's let me see your engineering program because that's what he wants to do. He wants to, he wants to go into engineering, and he had no idea that Auburn really does have a really good engineering program right. on top of a good football school, obviously. So that's kind of swayed him to this point. And right now, I think he he's been to three. His last three visits have been to to Auburn. He will be there for the all-in cookout, and we know that that can do. That's so big. He is yeah. coming to the all-in cookout, which is huge. But uh, but yeah, you know, this guy this guy's huge. This guy's a huge recruit because Ronshawn Smith is our five-star linebacker recruit. This guy would be just add like be such a like a really nice uh, addition to this to this line linebacker core. And it, it's funny we talk about a lot of these guys. They're still four stars now, and they still have their, their senior season yet to play. A few of them could bump up to a five-star. This guy's kind of on the fringe. He's about like he's like a yeah. top 100 type guy, and between him and Rashawn Smith, the other current Clemson commit, you're talking about like a, a class that would mirror that that five star commit back or the five star group back with Stephon Anthony and Tony Stewart back in 2000. I think it was 10. Yeah, we're we're in a weird place right now because in recent years we've been on such a roll with recruiting and we've kind of been in a dead period right now. We've missed out on some guys. And not a lot of action going on. It'll be nice to see what comes uh, out of the all-in cookout. But where do we look at projecting forward? Like, we're in up ranking next year in the recruiting rankings. Like, we're kind of getting used to being in the top ten, near in the top five. This class is not as big. So no matter what, they, you know, they take that the size of the class and they really grade it based off of that. So it's, it was always going to be short and it was probably never going to be a top ten class. But in terms of just the quality, not necessarily the quantity. Right, but then we have we're kind of running thin at this point but, because we're, there's a lot of misses going on right now. Right, but then we have guys like Ebo and Battle dropping off. That opens more spots, right? So the class is getting bigger. Yeah, but it's hard to play catch up this late in the game. Sure, and that's that's the struggle. Like it, you it, put in so much time to to woo this 17 year old kid, and then you lose six months, you're screwed. It, it's funny you say this late in the game because National Signing Day is until February. 
yeah and that's i feel like during during football season the fall is almost a write-off you're not going to get that access to conversations and i mean all their time is going to be monopolized for the most part i agree with you it's you know nine months away but well that's where the early signing period that we talked about previously comes Mm -hmm. into play so and that's a matter like are you are you the team that is the flipper or are you the team that gets flipped upon from these players that in the summer give you the verbal then come early winter they're moving on to another team and we don't traditionally flip a lot of guys at the last minute we got mark fields from south carolina last year but outside of that in recent memory clemson's more the team i mean unfortunately that does get flipped on and it's at, at the hands of the sec because the uh the notorious or the infamous uncle gets involved he takes a trip to auburn and all of a sudden wow this clemson lean is now going to auburn all of a sudden i wonder what happened moral of the story recruit kids without uncles <laughs> yes, uh, that's the moral story. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, Cody will be on Uncle Watch from here on out. Um, so keep us keep us posted. Uh, interesting post this week from uh, the Take Two guys over at ESPN.com, uh, Matt Fortuna and Andrea Adelson. Uh, they debated which ACC teams had the toughest schedule. They went the route of picking one from both divisions. Um, real quick, I want to dismiss the Coastal because uh, it is the Coastal. But they listed Miami. They talked about facing up against Florida State, whom they do every year, and then hosting Clemson, um, in addition to some out-of-conference uh, matchups with Cincinnati and Nebraska. I, I, I personally don't feel like Miami has that tough a road there. So my question about that would be real quick is, did they rank that because as a whole their opponents within themselves are really that tough or that they're just not that great of a team so they have a harder time beating those teams based on their schedule it's strictly based on opponent quality gotcha um so which kind of brings us to the other side of the coin so great you know you think miami has a tough schedule that could be that could be true they also face up against very many opponents who are shells of them former selves in virginia tech um virginia certainly is a train wreck right now um, throughout the really the, the coastal, it's a problem. Um, but Louisville was the pick on the other side, which is very interesting. I certainly feel like Clemson has a tough tough schedule ahead of ourselves. But as we've touched on, we definitely have sort of the advantage in terms of our home versus away matchups. We are hosting our three toughest opponents, I would say. We do travel to Louisville on a Thursday night. Um, we do travel to uh, Columbia, but at the same time, um, we host Florida State, we host Notre Dame, we host Georgia Tech. So we sort of control our own destiny at home, if you will. Uh, but Louisville, and the, the, the article goes on, I'll summarize it for you guys. Um, I didn't realize this, they start the season with Auburn um, down at Atlanta for kind of the college football kickoff. Um, and then they move next week back to home to face uh, Houston. And whatever, Houston's sort of a, a middling team, kind of a minor conference, but um, they're now led by um, Ohio State's former quarterback coach, Tom Herman. So certainly, I feel like he's going to bring some offensive firepower to that team that um, as a, coming off an Auburn game, second team, second game of the year, I don't think they fit the mold of a traditional cupcake like other, other early season opponents that you're used to. Louisville turns around five days later and hosts Clemson on a Thursday night. So in the past, I think we've circled that game as you know, potential, I wouldn't even call it a trap game. I'd call it a, a serious it's our first uh, concern test. for us. It's, it is yeah. definitely our first test. So um, I don't know, guys. Maybe we can stop there and 
getting away a little bit from does Louisville have the hardest schedule for for Clemson? Is it better off that we face you know Wofford and basically a couple of cupcakes leading into that game? Would you rather that, or would you rather face an SEC opponent and an up and coming kind of mid major? Well, it's it's really interesting that you put it that way because we haven't been thinking about that. Uh, uh, from from Louisville's side, right? We've been looking at it from Clemson is that we have a defense, it's it's unproven, we have an offensive line that's taking some hits, and we have a quarterback that we're not sure if he can stay healthy, and we're looking at that Louisville game after after Wofford and Appalachian State to start the season, which is a little bit different than we've been doing the past few years. We have a tougher game, so that's our first true test on the road at Louisville on a Thursday night. So we've been looking at it from our vantage point, but it's interesting that you bring that up because looking at it from Louisville's vantage point, where they have Auburn and then Houston, Houston's no Appalachian State and they're, they're no Wofford. They are better than those teams. Now, they're no Alabama for sure, absolutely, but they're, they're no walkover, right? You're not going to just, you can't ignore them, especially after a game starting off against Auburn to start the season. I actually feel like I, I would pencil Auburn in as a serious national championship contender. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you could, but you, I think the whole thing is they're they're weighting that so heavily because you can almost look at Clemson playing Louisville, Louisville playing Clemson as just a you know draw, whatever the case. Beyond beyond that, you know, beyond that that Auburn and then Houston game for Louisville, they go down their schedule and they play all the 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 lightweights of the ACC aside from Florida State, who Clemson plays as well. The only downfall is they play Florida State at home. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'll quickly read it off, and this is out of conference for, for the first one. But Samford, not Stanford, Samford, NC State, Florida State, Boston College, Wake Forest, Syracuse, Virginia, Pittsburgh, and then their their in-state rival, Kentucky. That's that's a very light schedule. You're talking about if they were to win their first three games, beating Auburn, unlikely, and Clemson, hopefully, just as unlikely. I mean, they could they could go undefeated. That's a that's a pretty easy schedule. Um, Florida State whoa, aside, whoa, whoa, Florida State whoa, aside. Whoa. I would like to point out that Kentucky is an SEC school. SEC. That's the, yeah, you're exact, and that's what the they're, they're, the pundits are like putting so much stock in that, like Auburn and Kentucky. Wow, literally top loaded in back. They're loaded. just wow. as dangerous as Vanderbilt. They realize it's not going to be the basketball players like John Wall and Demarcus Cousins aren't going to be there. Yeah, I mean, certainly bias over here. I feel like Clemson has a tougher, tougher sledding uh, going into this season. You brought up great points. Who, who are their non-Atlantic opponents? Who is their perennial rival, quote-unquote rival? I think they've been paired with Syracuse to face every single season, whereas we have Georgia Tech, who could be the class of the ACC. And Notre no Dame. Joke. And what is course, Syracuse doing in the conference? It doesn't even make sense. Does it make sense to anybody? It's nobody, sort of a package deal of that second wave of the Big East. Nobody wants to get paired with Syracuse. Yeah. Nobody's going to watch Louisville-Syracuse. Louisville fans aren't going to even watch <laughs> Louisville-Syracuse. They don't even know where Syracuse is. Okay. That, New, that New York market, but New York fans have their own Upstate stuff to deal with. New they don't, York. Yeah, so we get the Buffalo Bills, which kind of makes sense because we have a lot of guys playing for them. <laughs> market okay all right fine rex ryan's a coach his son plays for clemson and oh, never mind makes perfect sense john swafford knew exactly what he was doing great foresight it was a basketball move unfortunately Bayheim may not be there forever and we'll see you know i'm sure he would 86 the program before he allows his successor to um you know have some success there but 
All right, end of Syracuse. Wait, 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 one question, really quick. Who do you take right now, Maryland or Syracuse? If you had the option of, the, of either one, who do you take? I do hate Maryland, but I think I got to go Maryland. I think I'll go Maryland too. Ben, what you got? Uh, that's a tough decision. I just jump off the bridge. Yeah, vote for the meteor between those two. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, no. Hmm. Sorry, well, I, I really right. like. Okay, I, I expect to beat Syracuse. I really enjoy beating Maryland. I you mean, know, the, so I take Maryland because that gives me much more satisfaction than beating Syracuse. 2011, when we were down to Maryland, and basically it was the the second or third Sammy Watkins game. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. One of the most satisfying wins of my Clemson fan tenure. Everybody on the corner of Mason and Clay in San Francisco knows about Sammy Watkins because I yelled out the window during that game when he ran that punt return back or that kick return back. I was beside myself. And so everybody Absolutely. everybody knows about him. All right, so let me bring it back to the original point, Cody. I don't know if you responded to this. Opening season, the last three years, we've had, we've had some solid matchups against the likes of Georgia. Um, and a couple of other teams coming going forward we will also have likely these sec matchups uh, we have a m we have georgia again um so early season would you rather face you know a marquee matchup with the spotlight on us or do what we're doing this year which is a couple of cupcakes leading into a louisville game i lo- i love this year and this is a case-by-case basis we have to think about it like that I love this year because we're bringing in Mitch Hyatt, a true freshman, on as our left tackle to, to protect possibly the most talented player that's ever played for us, the most talented player in Clemson history, possibly Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I'm happy that that Mitch Hyatt will get a, a few, uh, you know, a few chances to really see what he's see what he's got and to get to get comfortable. But ultimately, we have to really think about how bad the ACC is. I know we, some of us want to believe that some of our teams are okay, but they're really not. It's, it's a bad conference. So ideally, what we want going forward, and we do have this, and this is shaped up perfectly, is that Auburn is coming up next year and the year after that. And, you know, we'll have Sean Watson still in the fold. If, if he hasn't, like, broken eight bones by then in 2016, we'll still have him. So I think it's, I think it's great to – assuming that ACC is not going to get better, that Virginia Tech and Miami are going to become powerhouses like they once were, I think it's great that we're looking to schedule the – Auburn's the Texas A&M's uh, in the future and I think I think that's the way we have to think about it going forward absolutely I mean I I agree completely I think it's case by case based on the state of our program we are we are not in a rebuilding mode right now we are in a somewhat of a recovery mode is how I would put it especially on defense um, and I would say from a, an offensive line standpoint we can use all the reps we can get against opponents that will build the confidence of our team if we had the squad of two years ago, you know, Taj Boyd as a senior, Sammy Watkins, um, certainly, you know, at, at the strength of his powers, then starting the year with a cupcake, I don't know if you make up for that. I think you do need quality opponents early. So I know we've all been circling 2016 as kind of Clemson's year. The fact that we are getting back in with Auburn starting next year, great news. Well, and I'll say this. I mean, we, we act like that... Uh, this was a Dabo decision on the schedule this year, but really this was an ACC decision because we got Notre Dame, they put it in the middle of the year. So recent trends have been we start off with a tougher game. It's just worked out this year that we needed that those cu- couple of like buffer games 
Right. And it yeah, worked absolutely. out really well. And then you're, you're scheduling these games so far in advance that you really, there's no way yeah, you can possibly no, predict the mm-hmm. current state of your program by that time. But it's really worked out well for us. Um, 2016, by the way, it's going to be a very tough year. I feel like if, if we are standing, you know, Thanksgiving Sunday, let's say, uh, qualified for the ACC championship game, I think a lot of that will be doing great part to the sequencing of our schedule. When we played the teams we played, Exactly, because the, the margin for error will, will be so small. And, and we'll beat teams like, for example, if we beat Louisville, I imagine it's going to be by a very short margin. And then you go into like Notre Dame, like playing them at home, we, we really lucked out. And we, we have the chance to be a really good team by year's end. And if we beat these teams, it's, it's going to, like you said, it's going to kind of be in the flow of kind of our year and the progression of these players that we have re loaded or you know whatever the case with well here's the thing this is the way i look at it is that we can start talking about national championships when we talk stop talking about how our schedule sets up we just go out there and know we can beat who's on our schedule anybody any, whenever any they fall it. but right? i just i disagree to some extent because ohio state is a the best example of a, of a team that was not their true self till the end and had they had one more stumbling block and their the front of their their jersey's not been ohio state you know if you you know keep in mind they did lose to virginia tech at the beginning of the year but you know people overlooked that even as bad as virginia tech was but there's a perfect example of a team that got better and better and clemson this year has a great chance and Ven- brent venables has proven that he can really develop a defense over the course of a season um, and that's going to be our only like, uh, like our point of uh, like our the thing that could really hold us back. So uh, if all things fall into place, it could be like the perfect storm and the perfect scenario. We could go into the postseason with a good, you know, a good chance. It, it's we could of, also lose to Louisville. I'm sorry, we could also lose to Louisville and then Notre Dame back to back. I equated a little bit to if your team is solid, if you feel like you do have that talent and you don't really have a, a chink in the armor, it's sort of like how baseball is these days. We live in San Francisco. We're accustomed to the San Francisco Giants who never go into the playoffs as the one seed. They never go in there impressing you and being like, oh man, look out for them. They always limp in with like that last wild card spot. But if you get into that tournament and you kind of have, you know, a stable of pitching or in the football side depth throughout your lineup, yeah, you might have limped in there against kind of cupcake opponents or a really soft Big Ten. Um, but if you have what it takes, you can kind of get through that tournament. I don't know necessarily that Clemson right now shapes up like that. I mean, we talk about kind of lack of, lack of depth at non-skill positions. Um, whereas I think if you're sort of representing like an, an Alabama, maybe they kind of have a down year for themselves. But if they can kind of back in whatever it takes to that fourth seed, they can go on and, you know, win the eight SEC tournament win that first kind of semifinal matchup and then blow out the team in the national title like Ohio State last year. You're right. When when you get thin in certain positions, it becomes, again, the margin for error. I will say right now, though, we have the talent at every skill position to do it. It's just that we get to the point it's so thin. We lose a Shaq Lawson. We lose a McKenzie Alexander in our secondary. Then we're pretty much done for. So it becomes scary. And we already lost Isaiah Battle. So it's not looking not looking great, but we're still in it, and we still could make that postseason run. Let's just get in. That's my that's my goal. Yeah, I mean, we're still more talented than most of the teams on our schedule with with those losses. So the only team that's more talented than us would be Florida State, and they're and they're not primed. Their players aren't as developed at this point in their career. So we're we're in good shape. 
guys definitely wanted to uh give us a chance to talk about um some of the baseball signings this week i think we've seen monty lee new head coach um do some great work even in kind of his first two weeks of his tenure um so maybe we can touch on that quickly and then i think uh, we have a couple more football thoughts uh, moving forward yeah i mean wow what what a start from for monty lee i mean he has been tearing up the recruiting trail um pitching which has been a major need for us he's went out there he's got some great pitching uh uh prospects coming in for the 2016 season big news that came today that he flipped a 2015 nc state uh commit in uh, andrew papp and he's really going to have a chance to come in next year and and really bolster a pitching staff that really needs some help now we now looking for next year we have Clay schmidt uh hopefully coming back his plan is to beat cancer and return for the 2016 season be the friday starter good luck big fella good luck to him and he has the mindset he has a former cancer uh that is very treatable and very beatable so we're really pulling for him there so that would be huge to get him back and then monty lee gets andrew c uh pitching coach uh onto the staff pitching coach at duke who's done a really great job at duke with their pitching staff uh historical low eras for those staffs even with injuries so he's really really making great hires signing some some great kids and and positions that we really need and he's 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 rocking the state of south carolina as far as baseball is concerned which we haven't seen jack leggett we didn't see jack leggett do that a lot recently so this is big news like he's really doing all the right things so far now again it's one thing to bring the kids in it's another thing of what you actually do with them and if you turn that into wins into meaningful wins into postseason wins so again a lot of good news it's there there's an enthusiasm there and these guys don't you know decommit and or flip commitments just because oh well monty lee went to clemson i guess i'm gonna go to clemson now like it happens with passion it happens with enthusiasm and it seems like that's exactly what's happening and that's exactly what the program needed was this to be just reinvigorated with this like this sense of purpose and passion and monty lee seems to be that guy and great news too brad bradley lacroix who is the assistant seems to be like egoless here and like he's like hey i just want to be here and uh continue to be like the lead recruiter and he's done his work so like I, if nothing else i don't know where all these guys are rated but i just, I just think it says hey we're, we're coming to clemson we're going to sell the program we're going to get the best damn south carolina recruits out there so watch out south carolina right no yeah absolutely and here's the thing so talk about continuity so you come into a program that's well established has a huge history and you have a guy like bradley lacroix he's a great recruiter so he retained him and then also um brad owens is the director of baseball operations so that helps keep the continuity within the program even with a coaching change so now let's talk about the recruits normally you would say if this was football and this was like the head coach coming from appalachian state let's say or something like that and he was bringing a bunch of appalachian state recruits you'd be like well this is this is not good you know we were supposed to recruit we're not gonna be able to compete at a higher level but it's different in baseball and that's where you get back to the 11.7 scholarships which happy to say we finally got into the bottom of here and understand what it means is that not little people no it's not <laughs> so where that comes from is that those 0.7 scholarships is a percentage of different of tuitions for the different players you can actually uh, pay for it so it spreads out through the entire team you're paying one guy's housing you're paying one guy's books so that leads to a lot more parity within college baseball so when he's bringing in these guys that he had connections with at the college of charleston these aren't mid-major players these are guys that can compete 
in in the high level NCAA tournament. I mean, so and it's the way they talk about him you know everybody says he has the it factor really kind of like Dabo and, and, and we said this and we wondered um, with LaCroix if, if D-Rad would go that route and we thought it was a little too risky like can you get you know lightning strike in the same place twice um, but when Monty Lee had a little bit of experience had a track record um, but everybody's saying he has that ick factor. So it's really interesting to see what he's going to be able to do. He's already making waves, and he's barely been on the job, I think, like two or three weeks. Um, so, yeah, this is huge. It's a really, it's a huge shot in the arm and a great momentum for Clemson baseball. I mean, we're talking about Clemson baseball well after here, the NCAA tournament, after we were, uh, you know, fell out and had a not a great season. It's, it's that excitement that he's brought that really has us um, optimistic about where we're heading. Not not just having a rebuilding season, but actually having a season where we can compete. Yeah, and it, what, what, what blows my mind is just the, the sense of enthusiasm, and I think we lose that for baseball. It's such a, a what's what's seemingly a statistical sport where it's like you one you know player A bats this, player B bats this, but really there's so much of a human element to it that we lose, and it seems like this guy's like really lit a spark there and it's great to see and like we we wondered what we were losing with jack leggett i think we realize now it's it's just that sense of enthusiasm and i and i i i'm certain at this point we're going to be not probably a good team this year you know watch out college world series because i think here we come i think that's and that's what's going to happen at this point yeah I, th- I think youth has a lot to do with that um you know, whereas obviously Jack Leggett had been around a while, that it's that enthusiasm, it's that youthful energy. Now, if that actually materializes into something positive, it's hard to say, but it's good to see it. He's laying the right foundation, and he's giving himself a leg up and really presenting himself well to the Clemson fan base, to the other Clemson coaches with, uh, within the school. You know, he had a great meeting with Dabo, apparently. So he's starting off on the right foot, but you do have to do something with that. You know, yeah. we're not we're not putting him in the Hall of Fame based off the first few weeks on the on the job and a few recruits that he's gotten. Sure. Let me give a quick shout out to to um, Elijah Elijah Henderson out of Blue Ridge High School in Taylor, South Carolina, or Greer, South Carolina. Um, my my high school, Blue Ridge, we have produced absolutely nothing in terms of athletes. So this guy's a shortstop. Don't sell yourself short, Cody. Yeah, I mean, I was I was gonna make it to the like I was gonna be a star linebacker and a star uh, shortstop, but I, I quit both sports in middle school. So he's really good at beer pong. He's 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 commitment to being bashful too. My kid, yeah, yeah, it was that and beer pong, right, Ben? So I'm I, I'm a standout Blue Ridge scholar and athlete, but this guy is like the second coming of me. He's like me, but like a plus version. So anyway, it's just Elijah Henderson, you know, utility infielder. You know, congrats, man. Well, you know, welcome to uh, Clemson. Batted 429 last year. We'll take him. He's no slots. Yeah, he's no slots. He's, yeah. We're happy to bring him to Clemson for sure. Guys, I know um, this is maybe a good good moment here to discuss. I mean, certainly Monty Lee, glad to have him on board. Seems like a very um, positive transition in his first few weeks. I want to talk about a different transition at coaching at Clemson. Uh, we, this past year, lost offensive coordinator Chad Morris on the football side to SMU, taking over uh, a program in a bit of disarray over there. Um, they, they came off the death penalty probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. It's been tough going, but they've had some success under uh, June Jones, former Hawaii head coach. 
Uh, but they, they moved on from June Jones recently and, and hired in Chad, Chad Morris. Uh, Clemson opted to replace him with sort of a double promotion off of their staff. Uh, running back coach Tony Elliott, who will looks like be the play caller on the offensive side, and then um, wide receiver coach and a guy we probably know better as kind of that key recruiting mind at Clemson on the offensive side, Jeff Scott. Uh, both of those guys are going to kind of take over for for the Chad, if you will. Um, Cody, I just wanted to get your take. Like, what do you feel like will be the biggest difference moving away from Chad Morris to kind of this two-headed monster OC group? I think it's very interesting. I think, I think there's a lot of unknowns here that we don't know. In my opinion, I'm okay with it. I, I, I love Chad Morris. He was great for, for what he was, for what he brought to the program. But it was time for him to go. I felt like at some point, I felt like his, his pride, his ego had probably outgrown, outgrown itself, especially for Clemson. And I think what we can get with Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott is, is, are two guys that can really work together they don't have the ego. They're up and coming guys. They have that hunger, kind of like the Monty Lee hunger of uh, guys that just want to prove themselves. And I, I feel like we can, I, I feel like there won't be any drop off. I could be, comp- I'm, uh, maybe I'm completely underestimating how good, like that football genius of a guy like Chad Morris, the scientist as they called him. Maybe I'm underestimating how good he was, but from in my opinion, I feel like, it, I feel like we're gonna actually take a step up because we're gonna get two guys that really know how to really design a, a, a scheme and, and the play calling based off of the talents of the players, aside, you know, not necessarily the the prowess of the, the offense itself. So I'm happy, I'm happy. I, I think we're in a good direction. I, I think you'll see a little drop off. Well, let me say this. I mean, we, we expected, it's not necessarily it was time for Chad Morris to go. We knew he was gonna go. Like he had aspirations of being a head coach and that was always gonna happen. He was always gonna go back to Texas. He was turning down head coaching positions a year ago. Yeah, yeah, so we knew this was gonna happen. I mean, it was kind of the interesting thing and, and something to talk about was that a, supposedly he told Deshaun Watson that if he came to Clemson, he would be there throughout his career. You know, we don't know the validity of that, or if that was true or not. Um, but, you know, he, he got an opportunity to go back to Texas and be a head coach of a once proud program. So I think that was to be expected, to be honest with you. Now, uh, the question is, is there going to be a drop-off? I think prior to some offensive line issues that that Deshaun Watson would, would do very well at masking any sort of drop-off. Now... You know, we're not sure. We, we judge one game. We judge one game with, with Cole Stout against Oklahoma in a bowl game. And I would feel much differently about that if instead of Oklahoma, that was Alabama or Auburn or LSU. But it was Oklahoma. And Oklahoma has a history of being overhyped. So that's not necessarily Cole Stout. Number one, that was the number one defense in the nation. And a lot of playmakers. So... I, I, I expect we may see a drop-off. You know, nobody's expecting it. It could happen. Do, do you mean a drop-off maybe in the, the caliber of our play calling, the, the establishing our will from like a pace of play and the plays, number of plays a game, those kind of things? Maybe, maybe I mean, there'll just be some growing pains. Maybe over the long run or the long haul of the season that we develop and things get better, but there might be some growing pains. I mean, we, we saw Dabo have 
issues early on in his coaching career and there's still a couple things that we may question as a young coach that you're going to have mistakes and you're going to learn and you're going to grow from them to think that tony elliott and jeff scott aren't going to have these moments and now maybe that's where having the two of them working together they kind of uh, each other's strengths covers each other's weaknesses that could be a possibility but i i, I think it's to think that there's not going to be growing pains uh, Totally. And I'll give you guys my like two goods and a bad here. I think the one thing that's really stuck out to me is the fact that both of them have accepted this role sort of in an egoless position that I think you've, you've touched on a little bit here. So I, I can only imagine getting kind of co-promoted. Either one of them could have felt like they were the man. They could have, could have justified that position. Um, it, you know, we've, we've heard rumors, et cetera, that, or it's been said that Tony Elliott was the man. He should have gotten that nod as the official loan offensive coordinator and also that Jeff Scott was due a promotion and the only way to sort of justify elevated pay is to set up this arrangement. I will say it's probably a mix of both warranting the co-offensive coordinator title and some type of enabling higher pay type of situation. So that's one good. The other good I feel like our offense could use a shot in the arm um, from a I, I'm hopeful that these guys can make adjustments in game. I think that's one area or one knock that I would have had on Chad Morris was he would have his game plan either for his personnel throughout the season or definitely in a game for that matchup. Um, and we would see some adversity in the first half and maybe not adjust to that as well as um, an offensive coordinator of his caliber should being the highest OC, highest paid OC in the country last year. Cody, you and I both watched that Georgia game. How many first downs do we have in the second half? Yeah, I think we can count it on one hand. I can't remember the exact number, but... Can you count it on... Were there, were there zero? On no fingers? Wow. Can you count it? Okay, so... Yeah, that was... It was bad. And it was... It, it's a little bit pride in that particular instance. A little bit it was, hey, we had the wrong quarterback there, which I can understand that. We. So, you, you know what's interesting? Of everything you said... And, and what you said, Ben, was there can definitely be a – for any rookie or any freshman that goes in, there's always a learning curve. Deshaun Watson could completely mitigate that is the interesting part of this. That's the interesting thing is that he could be so good that these guys will look like a million bucks. And then we, they were faced with another – a different issue next offseason. It's like we have these two, like, grade-A offensive coordinators. Are they really grade-A? So are let they me, really relying on Deshaun Watson? Let me make this comparison. Tully, you can drop, uh, jump in on this. LeBron James and David Blatt in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Is it the player? Is it the coach? I mean, everybody, the system that the coach brings to the table. We look. We all know who's calling the shots in Cleveland. Absolutely, it's so a little bit easier, but yeah. it certainly is. But uh, no, you're. It's impossible to uh, extract the value that these two OCs would bring versus a Deshaun Watson, unless, knock on wood, that this does not happen. They have to coach their way out of a situation where he's not impacting the offense. And I think that's where it's really going to tell if something does happen. Either that or. You know, Deshaun is a man of many talents. He has a very young offensive line protecting him. And we've talked about this in the past with some of our depth issues on OC. How can you scheme to take advantage or to mitigate, Cody's words, that thinness or that youth on our O-line? The hurry up, no huddle offense could be our greatest asset at this point. And that's getting that pace up, which for whatever reason, if you remember back to 2010 when you know Cam Newton and Auburn won the national championship, and, he, and that was with Gus Malzahn as offensive coordinator, 
who Chad Morris went, you know, in Texas when they were both high school co- coaches in Texas, or uh, can't remember the process. He basically took that, and that's what he took back to his his high school, and then ultimately on to Clemson. So that's how he formulated that whole thing. You know, long story short is the hurry up no huddle offense is kind of dissipated like throughout Chad Morris's tenure. This is something that they they were preaching during the Oklahoma game. You know Tony Elliott and, and Jeff Scott, so they got to keep that there because that that completely drains out defensive line. That's, that, that's where we can really start to unleash the athletes that we have on that offensive skill position roster. Exactly, and that's and that's how Oklahoma or um, not Oklahoma, excuse me, Oregon has really mitigated a lot of their weaknesses on the offensive line. There's not a lot of big guys up in Oregon in the Pacific Northwest. You know, they just, you know, it's, it's how it is. So that they've done this, and that it's ended up, let's be honest, you can't win a national championship with it. Or at least they haven't been able to. But, you know, that's, that's how they mitigated that weakness. And Clemson is essentially kind of like the Oregon of the Southeast. Yeah, what I saw is you just throw a screen out there to Artavis Scott and let him do work. And then prior to him, you do that with Sammy Watkins and let him do work. So wait till you see Deion Kane and Ray Ray McLeod. You're gonna be able to. You're, and that's the gonna, thing. We do it over and over again, and they still don't stop it. So really, who cares about offensive linemen? We just need to make sure our so receivers can block. What you're telling me is <laughs> Rob Spence was before his time, and he just didn't have the right athletes. Yeah, maybe he should have taken the bubble out of the screen. I don't know. If Rob Spence had Deshaun Watson, he would be the next Rich Rodriguez. I don't know. I don't have a good one there. Lane Kiffin? No, he'd still be wrong. Lane Kiffin. <laughs> I, I think he'll he'd still be Rob Spence. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, I, certainly I would I would put uh, the, the double headed OC situation possible liability, possible risk, possible concern going into the year. But these guys obviously proved themselves well in a preparation mode and in you know in game adjustments against Oklahoma. I will point out they are prone to being overrated and kind of overhyped. They did beat Bama in that BCS game the prior year in the Sugar Bowl. The prior year. I don't I don't put too much stock into that. Things change in a year-to-year basis. What doesn't change is Alabama's dominance. Yeah. But they are 0 and 2 in the last couple of years in the bowl. Yeah. Game. And you could always say Saban and those guys looked past that game. They didn't care to be there. Which was certainly the narrative, by the way, for ESPN on Oklahoma's reason to not like fully attend our, our bowl game. No, every time Alabama doesn't go to the national championship game, Saban doesn't give a shit. It's yeah, it's they don't want to be there. So I'm tired of hearing that. That was completely like the, the ESPN guy wanted to strangle him during the Oklahoma game when we were playing them. Where he were, we were saying like, wow, they didn't want to, they didn't show up because they didn't care. It's a love hate relationship. Like I wish it would have came at full steam. Then I, I think we still would have beat them by thirty. Because they, they, they didn't have an answer for Vic Beasley. Well, well think about trade. the LSU game. I mean, they, they said the same thing against with us in the LSU game. Um, is that LSU didn't want to be there? Their heads weren't in. But you see those guys play. You know, you don't cramp up on the field like that from being run so ragged. I mean, if you're not giving effort, you're not going to be cramping up. So clearly, they were giving effort. And that's, you know, it's one of those things about ESPN. Absolutely. Well, one, one area maybe to, to close up on the kind of Chad Morris departure. Um, I don't know that the, the story is out yet on whether his leaving has impacted negatively our recruiting ability. Uh, we're certainly now in our first full season or stretch without Chad Morris, um, but Jeff Scott was doing probably a large amount of that recruiting anyway. 
Um, and we have seen some signings, you know, since that point. We also have not had as many openings or positions to sign. So I'm not as worried about recruiting there. Cody, you're kind of our guru of recruiting. Thoughts? I don't have any tangible evidence of how it will it's dropped off. I think it will, frankly. He was a good, he was a damn good salesperson. He's like Dabo. He was passionate. He did he did he was the guy that got. He's a great Twitter follow. I will say that. I know. What, what, I don't even have that kind of Twitter like passion. He's amazing. So he got he got Deshaun Watson. I mean he he got him. It, he was the guy. He he lured him in. Deshaun's sophomore year. We'll see. And we still have what it takes to to bring in the the big guys uh, on offense because the wide receiver position, like we have a lot to sell. It's gonna keep. We're gonna keep producing there. Running back, we got lucky. Tavion Feaster, that had nothing to do with Jeff Scott or, or Tony Elliott. That was just because he was in our backyard. Well, and it's not like you know any guys left. I mean, this past recruiting class when he left, I mean they stuck with us. So that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. They, they came like Deion. You had five yeah. stars: Deion Kane and Rare and McLeod. They, they came for Dabo, not Dabo, but Clemson and the family. We'll see. The only drop off that we're seeing right now is offensive line, and I don't necessarily make that association with Chad Morris. That's right. He couldn't hurt though. He could not hurt. And give him like a phone call with Parker Boudreaux. Like give him a phone call with Clark Yabral, who's the guy we lost to Stanford. We could we could use him here and there. We we won't necessarily fill it, but it's it's there. We we need a guy. Hundred percent. Well, sort of one of the one of the factors that has led to some of our O line woes or thinness, regardless of Chad Morris's departure, was actually uh, Isaiah Battle. Um, opting in for the NFL supplemental draft, which actually took place this week. Um, he was not sure if everyone's aware of kind of how this works, but um, these players that opt in um, can be bid on and evaluated by teams. If they are drafted, this team will give up their pick in the given round in next year's draft. Uh, so Isaiah Battle, um, veteran tackle for Clemson, um, we can we can talk about or surmise the reasons that he left, but he put in for the draft and he was actually taken or bid on in the fifth round by the St. Louis Rams. Um, so definitely a team with offensive question marks, really strong defense on the Rams, but um, guys, that's interesting news that he, they, they felt so strongly about Isaiah battle to give up next year's fifth round pick. I don't know how good the Rams are going to be this year. That could be a pretty substantial pick. They've been taking a lot of offensive linemen, and what we kind of heard about Battle was that he may go in the fifth round of the supplemental draft. Now, in the supplemental draft, guys don't go every year. The last person to go in the supplemental draft was Josh Gordon to Cleveland back in 2012. So it's been three years since we see somebody taken. And again, we can kind of tie these two together with character issues. So is it worth a pick at this point? Um, you know, I, I, I question that. We've seen his work ethic at Clemson and the issues he's gotten into within a very structured environment with less freedom, right? So let's, what happens in the NFL? Is he ready for something like this? You know, we know he has the talent, but talent doesn't always pan out. We saw, I mean, Mike Bellamy. His talent com- comes becomes completely diluted as he gets to the NFL, like it, or diminished. We should say, yeah. If I'm an NFL executive, I, I don't take him. There's just no chance. I look at his, his track record, track record at Clemson, which I, I was always rooting for the guy, and I still will root for the guy. But he just showed no improvement. He showed very little improvement. And like you're talking about, your, the years from 18 to 22 should be like the like the biggest amount of improvement in your whole life ever. 
for yeah, any he, guy, depending on, you know, regardless of your circumstances beforehand. And he just, just didn't show it. I would not take this guy at this point for a fifth-round pick. Yet he was still rated at, like, a second-round talent. Which is completely fair. And even if he comes to Clemson and he just blows it out of the water, he could it could have been a first-round talent. He, and that would have been with, well within reason. And the reason I can see him going is because he plays, again, he protects the quarterback's blind side, the position he Left plays. Left tackle is a position yeah. that... One of the most important. Right. If you're above average, you will get overdrafted. Yeah. And so we saw that take place. They took a flyer. Yeah. And if I'm that guy, knowing what I know, and this is unfortunate, but I, I wouldn't have taken it. I mean, I, I Good think luck to you, Isaiah Battle, but no, 100%. I wouldn't have taken it. I think Jeff Fisher is a great coach. He's great with character issues on on players. So maybe this maybe this ends up being a steal for them. I, I'd rather have him uh, protecting Deshaun Watson this year. I, I, I know out of the, the two choices, well, not the two choices, but what he could have, been, who he could have been protecting, who he's going to be protecting, the better quarterback is on our roster. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, let me say this: if you can't make it and thrive in Dabo's system, where it's definitely an attaboy, pat on the back, like, hey, what do you need? We'll get it for you. Like, yeah, take care of you. Player-centric focus. If you're not making it there. Good luck in the NFL. They don't give a shit about you. You're right, though, Tully. Jeff Fisher may be a good coach for that. Right. Indeed. Um, sticking with sort of uh, embattled or uh, you know controversial Clemson players at the moment, um, Ammon Lakeup, wish him the very best in, as he moves through his disciplinary issues. He's actually been named um, to the watch list for the Lou Groza Award. It uh, turns out, despite struggling early on last year, he was a finalist for this award, best kicker in the country. Uh, so interesting to see him on that early season watch list, considering we don't know yet what suspension or discipline has been levied. Well, that really surprises me that maybe they're not reading the headlines um, to see him on the watch list. Like, he has to first worry about getting off the DEA watch list. And so... <laughs> Uh, and really, like you said, he was a little shaky at, at the beginning of the year last year. And even when he came on, we still weren't that confident in him. And he still ended up as one of the, the Grozer Award finalists. So, again, I mean, the again, last thing I'll say is watch lists. What the hell is a watch list? It, it, it's, it still tells you, I mean, uh, you know, our backup kicker isn't on this list. It's, it's, it's an important position. So, fair enough. I think watch lists are. It, they're covering, they're covering themselves for the possibility that these guys have breakout years. It's good to have someone on your watch list, but they're mostly worthless. Um, I guess we'll wrap with one good bit of news coming out of Clem the Clemson world. Uh, Clemson student, Daja D Dial, uh, let me repronounce that, Daja Dial, was named Miss South Carolina 2015 this year, so congratulations. Um, and, you know, keep it up. Maybe we'll see you in the Miss America pageant. South Carolina women are the prettiest women in the world. Clemson so, women. Um, yeah, I, like, I'm, I'm, I see South Carolina. I meant that. Especially in the orange. I meant Clemson women. I mean, even you in the orange are glowing right now. I am wearing orange right now, and I look amazing. He does. Imagine, yeah. Imagine these ladies. So uh, could be the lighting. Coming up on future podcasts, like we mentioned, uh, we'll be touching on some season previews, having some special guests joining us. Um, and breaking down some of our key opponents for the upcoming season. Stay tuned for that. Thank you all, and go Tigers.